Amen. I'm glad that you're here this morning. And uh, what a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Uh, I want you to know uh, from the bottom of my heart that I love Jesus with all my heart. And um, I'm so thankful for what he has done for me in my life. I'm so thankful that he saved me by his, his grace. Uh, nothing that I deserved, but something that he just gave me, a free gift of salvation for all eternity, forgiven me of my sins, and I could never, ever repay him for what he's done for me. And so I'm very thankful for that. And, and uh, this morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 29. And if you have your scripture and want to open up to that or uh, scroll up to that or whatever you need to do there. But uh, I want to pray for us as well um, as we get started here. Uh, just knowing that God wants to do something special in your life today, right now. And uh, let me pray for us. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. Uh, Father, I pray that you would continue to pour light into each of our lives. Uh, Father, how we need your light uh, to walk the path. Uh, Father, I also pray for wisdom. I pray, Father, that in these days of dark times and, and uh, evil times, Father, that you would give us wisdom in the things that we do and the things that we say. And Father, I pray for those who are in need of comfort. Father, those who are maybe in mourning. Um, I pray, Father, that you would just uh, minister to their hearts as only you can. Father, for those in need of healing, I pray for your touch. Uh, your word says, by his stripes, we are healed. And so, Father, we claim that promise today. Father, I ask that you would continue uh, just the anointing of the Holy Spirit in this place, in each of our hearts. Uh, Father, I pray that we would put to, to death the deeds of the flesh and, Father, that we would put to death our own ego. And, Father, that we would just allow you uh, to be our all in all. And, uh, Father, we thank you so much for your great love for us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being in this place with us. Guide us and convict us as we continue to seek you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, a while back, <laughs> I received an email from uh, a guy in Nigeria, okay, I, I've never been to Nigeria, I don't know anybody in Nigeria, but I got an email from some guy in Nigeria that wanted to give me $14 million. And all I had to do, all I had to do was send him my bank account numbers and he would deposit the money into my account. Man, if I counted on that promise as true and reorganized my life around the hope that I would receive that money, you would be right to question my sanity. And if we're going to bank our lives on this kind of promises, then, then we better make sure that they're true. I mean, how can you know that the promise that, 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 that Paul writes about, God's promise in Romans 8, 28, which we, we talked about last week, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. How do we know that that promise is true? 
And I really feel like that's something that, you know, um, we, we really need to unpack. And, and that verse explains why we as believers go through and endure the sufferings that we have in this present life with hope of future glory that is to be revealed because we know that God will work all things together for good, for our good, for those who love him and for those who are called according to his purpose. I think this is huge. He will work it all together for our ultimate and for our eternal good. See, it's important to understand that Paul's purpose in writing these deep truths is very pastoral. He's, he's writing to churches and he's, he's being pastoral and helping them understand, but it's also very practical. He's writing that for those reasons. He didn't write about predestination in order to spawn arguments and debates. He wrote these things to comfort believers in Rome who were facing persecution or were about to go into and face persecution. So he's writing them to comfort them. There's a reason behind that. They're going to face some persecution maybe in the near future. And they, like us, also had plenty of other trials in life that could cause them to stumble if they don't handle them from God's perspective. See, what we know can change our perspective. What we know can change our perspective. So how can we know that God will really work all trials together for our good? Well, Paul explains that why, the why here, and I want to give that to you this morning, the why of this. In, in eight verse, uh, chapter 8 of Romans, verse 29 and 30, where he shows us what he means when he says, I'm going to work all things together for good. He shows us what the good is and that we will ultimately that we will ultimately be conformed to the image of Christ and that we will be glorified with him. This is, this is deep stuff and it's kind of hard to wrap our mind around this. But understand this, that this is the purpose of salvation. The purpose of our salvation is to be conformed to the image of God's son, Jesus. See, we are saved so that we will be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, I hate to burst your bubble. I know walking on Golden Street sounds pretty cool. You know, being saved for all eternity, um, that great reunion, going to heaven. All of those are side benefits of our salvation. The purpose of your salvation and mine is to be made in the image of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of our salvation. Now, we get these other side benefits. Yes, we live eternally. Yes, we get to go to heaven. Yes, we get to walk those golden streets. But those are all side benefits of our salvation. We know this is true because God's purpose is certain. There's no debating what God's purpose is. His purpose goes all the way back to his decree before the foundation of the world, before the world was spoken into being. He, he founded and he wanted to save a people for his glory. And it reaches forward to that final time, that, that, that eternity of our glorification 
in the ages to come when we will be perfectly sanctified and, and not able to sin. Think about that. From the foundation, from before the foundation of the world till when we are future sanctified and glorified in heaven with him for all eternity. It's vital for us to see that salvation, your salvation and mine, is from the first to the last something that is totally from the Lord. It all comes from him. See, the key statement in Romans chapter 8 is at the end of verse 28 where he says, called according to his purpose. That unlocks everything. That phrase, called according to his purpose, unlocks everything. And then we read in verse 29, and this is the verse we're going to focus in on this morning. For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, I'm a fairly simple guy. Very simple. It doesn't take a lot. I'm not all that intelligent. But I want to break this down so that I can understand it and so that you can understand it and so that we can grasp Maybe just a little bit of it, okay? The word here, he foreknew. It's foreknowledge. It's not a difficult word to understand. It simply means to know ahead of time. To know ahead of time. You have foreknowledge. You know ahead of time. And the question open for debate is, what is it that God knew ahead of time? What is it that he knew ahead of time? And some suggest that foreknowledge means that God somehow looks down the corridor of, of, of history to see those who are going to respond freely to the offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. He looks to see who will respond to the invitation of the gospel. And, and the people that he foreknows will believe are the people he chooses to save. That's how some people interpret that. And it sounds reasonable enough. However, other texts that we read in Scripture, they tend to lead us to ask the question, can anyone choose God without God first choosing them? I mean, remember what Paul said in Romans 3, just a few pages back. Romans 3, 11 uh, and 12. He says, there is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God, All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. That's what Paul is talking about humanity. In and of ourselves, we do not choose good. In John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus said, All that the Father has given me will come to me. So if the Father does not give them, or in our case, choose them, they will not come to trust Jesus. And if foreknowledge simply means that God looks into the future to see who will choose to follow him, what is it that he sees? He will see no one, because no one will, of their own volition, choose God. 
That's what scripture tells us. See, I believe Ray Pritchard does a great job of, of defining the true understanding here of foreknowledge. He said this, he said, God's foreknowledge in his divine ability to know what's going to happen before it happens because he intends to make it happen. Oh, that's, that's a game changer. Because God intends to make it happen. We kind of see this in a limited way in our own experience. Now just track with me here for a minute. For instance, I might say, you know, there's a baby shower later today after church. It's going to be in the fellowship hall. And when church is over around noon, I'm going to the fellowship hall and I'm going to eat lunch. I know that. I know I'm going to have some pulled pork on a sandwich. How do I know that? I know that because I've determined that I will do that. I'm not guessing. I'm not theorizing. I'm really just announcing a personal decision. And I know that I'm going to have pulled pork, not only because I know I'm going to have it, but because I myself have prepared it. But see, there's a limit to that. To that kind of foreknowledge. In our experience, we're limited. In God's experience, he's not. I mean, something could happen to change my plans. I could pass out in the service because the preacher went too long. And end up in the hospital. Somebody could say, hey, let's go to lunch. I might get a not so pleasant phone call. You know, that, that, that summons me away. There's lots of things that could happen. But even so, uh, though I think I know what's going to happen, I can't totally control the future. I can't. But God is not like that. God's foreknowledge doesn't simply mean that he knows by looking down the, the corridors of history who's going to, what's going to happen because he's God and, and he can see what's going to happen. That's true, but it doesn't go far enough. And here's why. Because God knows what's going to happen because he's sovereign over all the earth. He reigns over all creation and he knows what is going to happen because he either directly causes it or he gives his permission to allow it to happen. So every event in the universe falls into one of those two categories. Either it is directly caused or it is permitted to happen. Because God is sovereign. Now there's also another, there's more to this idea of knowing. The word know, especially in the Old Testament has the idea of knowing intimately. Knowing intimately. It means to, to love with affection. To know in a loving way. Now when we apply this to the idea of our salvation, it means that God not only knew you before you were born, he knew he was going to love you. He knew you before you were born, but he also knew that he was going to love you. And I think this is huge because he chose you. <laughs> he chose me. He chose us before we chose him. 
He was the first to love us. You know, it's kind of very similar to an expectant mother. And in our church, we have quite a few of those. We're having these baby showers because ladies are pregnant and, and they're having babies. And so we're, we're showering them with our love and kindness. And, you know, you think about an expectant mother from the first moment that that mother learns that she's pregnant. She loves her baby. She feels the baby move and her heart is drawn to her child. She sings to the baby. She talks to the baby. She pats her stomach. She makes preparations for this child even though she doesn't know what this baby is gonna grow up to be. But that doesn't matter. That mother has decided to love that child in a way that is very deep and very lasting. See, when God foreknows someone, he chooses them. He determines to love them and to draw them to himself. And this choice is not based on what we have done or what we will do. It's based on the heart of God and his desire to show love to those whom he has created. Now, I, I love this because he, he talks about there for those whom he foreknew. He chose to love us before we chose him. He, he loves us. He created us. And then it says there, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. The second word is the one that most people argue about here. Foreknowledge and predestination. And usually the argument is about the, the combined ideas of foreknowledge and predestination. And so once you understand foreknowledge, predestination isn't complicated at all. I mean, to predestine means to determine a destination ahead of time. Predestination. Okay? You're deciding a destination ahead of time. For instance... Okay, I'm very simple. I'm just breaking this down. If I say I am going to go to Oregon on my vacation that is coming up, we could accurately say that my vacation has been predestined. That's where I'm going. Okay? And when God predestines us, he knows where we are going. Okay? And I think it's a very simple concept. But listen, God didn't predestine you just to the beginning of your salvation, just to where you are saved. He predestined you all the way to the end, if you will, the eternity of your salvation, of being conformed to the image of his son. He predestined that as the destination. That when you accept Christ, his desire is that you would be conformed to the image of his son. And he determined that all those that he has chosen to show mercy to would be a people who would be transformed into Christ likeness. Those he chose to save would become followers of Christ and would gradually be transformed and be made new. See, foreknowledge is the choice of the person's predestination is what that person is chosen for. See, all this has to do with the fact that God, Almighty God, 
has a plan. He has a plan. We don't need to be wringing our hands, wondering what's going to happen. How are we going to do this? He knows where we're at. He knows what we're going through. He knows the trials and he's doing this and he's putting these things in so that he can conform us to the image of his son. We got a lot of extra baggage that we need to get rid of in order to conform to the image of his son. And that's what he says in verse 29, to become conformed to the image of his son. And that word to become deformed literally means to bring to the same form with. This is really unimaginable, but this is God's plan. In Philippians chapter 3, just hang with me a minute here. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says this. It says, for our citizenship is in heaven. From which we also, which also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will catch this, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Wow. I mean, how in the world is he going to do that? (laughs) By the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. In Philippians 2, 9, it says, For this reason, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So he's he's above every name that is is out there. And I, I love this because it says, He exalted him with a name above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You want to know the power that he has to subject all of creation to his authority? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. I want you to pull over and park here for just a moment. You know, we wonder how in the world will the Lord create a new body for us? You know, how will, the, how will he give me a glorified body? What will that look like? And people ask me some interesting questions sometimes. You know, well, they might say something like, well, I'm a little bit worried about cremation. Because how's the Lord going to find all the pieces, you know, at at the end so that he can give me a glorified body? Not to worry, folks, not to worry. You know, even if you're not created or excuse me, cremated, just stay in the grave long enough and you'll have the same problem because of something called disintegration. But it's by the same power As Philippians 3 says, by the same power that he exerts exerts over everything in the entire universe. See, he created this whole universe out of what? Nothing. He spoke it into being. He has the power, the one who created everything that we can see, everything in this universe. When he created it by the, the spoken word, he can create a body for you and for me that is glorified and just like Jesus's body. 
He's going to grant us a form like the glorious body of Jesus Christ. Think about this. I, sorry, I, I just kind of cracked up when I was thinking about it because are we all going to look like him and you know be 33 years old and have shoulder-length hair and maybe a beard? I, I don't know. Some of you ladies might not appreciate that. I don't know. But it's talking about your holiness. It's talking about your blamelessness, your righteousness, your spiritual perfection will be just like Jesus. I don't know all that it means except to say that you will have a body that is like his glorious body. The only thing we know about that is what we read about his post-resurrection experiences. We know that he was visible. We know he was touchable. He could speak, he could eat, he could transport himself supernaturally, rapidly. He could live in time and space and he could live out of time and space. He was perfect and sinless and visible only to those whom he chose to reveal himself. And we're going to be brought into the same form as the glorified Lord was after his resurrection. So in whatever glorified in whatever way glorified humanity can be made like, you know, God in the flesh, incarnate, uh, we will be like Christ. And it is a spiritual reality, but we will have a glorified body. Now we're going to get back on the highway and we're going to continue moving on with our passage. Look at the word here, conform to the image. And this is interesting because the word here, image, is, is, is icon. It's the, it's the word we get our English word icon from. And, and really, it, it, it's a statue. It's a replica of a likeness. And it refers to a purposefully derived likeness, not an accidental one. In other words, you don't just happen to, you know, if you're going to make an icon of, of, let's say, a president or something, and you're going to make it out of stone and make this statue, it's not just going to accidentally happen. It's going to be derived with intentionality. And I think that's huge because when we go about to produce an icon, to, to produce a replica of somebody else, it's not accidental. The statue is a replica, and that's exactly what this word conveys. It's just like the image, but it's not the image. And I think that's huge. Because we're going to have, we're going to be in the image of Christ Jesus in that somehow God is going to shape us into a replica of Jesus. But understand this, we will not be Jesus Christ as a son is not his father. But we will bear the image of Jesus Christ in the same way that a son bears the image of his father. We will be like him. I think that's huge because when you think about this, God has one true, unique son. We are brought into the family by adoption. And we are adopted as his children. But we're going to be like his son. He's going to make us like his son. And we are going to be like him without sin, in righteousness, 
And all of these other things that, 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 that are the character qualities of Jesus Christ, we will be like him. This whole body's gone. That new glorified body that looks like Christ is going to be there. What a beautiful thing. Folks, we are waist high in theology here. In these difficult teachings. And they raise many questions. Some of which we may be addressing over the next weeks and beyond. But you know, you may be asking yourself this morning, Brother Ridge, who cares? What does this have to do with me today? What are we supposed to learn from this? How, why spend so much time talking about this stuff? And it's a fair question. I just want you to let me draw a few com- conclusions from our study. The first thing is this. Please remember that understanding these things is not a prerequisite to your salvation. They are difficult and people have struggled with them ever since they were written. What does this mean? How do we go about it? Second, I would say this. Don't miss the point of the text. Paul's emphasis is that our confidence is anchored in the fact that salvation is based on the work of God and not of humanity. It's his work that he does in us. That's a beautiful confidence, having that confidence anchored because I won't drop the ball. It's not about me. It's about him. You know, God begins the process. He is purposeful in his process, working all things for our good. And God will be successful in the process because he's the one that's going to make it happen. See, Paul wants us to stop depending and trusting in our ability and start trusting God's ability. Third, I would say this passage provokes worship. Because when we understand, when we understand that we are saved by the sovereign and undeserving grace of God, we didn't do anything to deserve it. While we were yet sinners, while we were still sinning, Jesus Christ died for us. He loved us anyway. He foreknew. He chose to love us first, even though we were unlovable. And he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. I mean, we we have to bow in worship and gratitude when we recognize how undeserving we are of what God has given us. I mean, it's like that old country song says, why me, Lord? What have I ever done to deserve even one of the pleasures I've known? Tell me, Lord, what did I ever do that was worth loving you or the kindness that you've shown? Folks, there is no place for arrogance among believers in Jesus Christ. We have put our faith and our trust in him. And it's all about what God has done and nothing about us. See, when we do that, this worship takes on a different form. Instead of being focused on us, I mean, some of our songs are about I and about we and about us and about me, that our focus would be more appropriately on him. 
We will worship God's character rather than our goodness. We will celebrate his mercy in choosing us rather than trying to build the kingdom in our strength and for our glory. And finally, I would say this. This text reminds us that God's purpose is for us to become more like Jesus. I mean, his ultimate goal is not for us to become more prosperous, more successful, more influential. God wants us to be more like Jesus. And he wants us to have the priorities of Christ and and the heart of Christ. And he wants us to love him like Jesus did. Can you say that? Can you say, I love the Father. I love God like Jesus did. See, if you want to know what the good is that God's doing through the trials in your life, here's the answer. The purpose of your salvation is so that you will be conformed to the image of his one true and unique son, Jesus Christ. And so God is working to conform you to the image of his son. That's your destiny (laughs) as the one who has been called according to his purpose to be conformed to the image of his son. If you want to pray according to God's will, then this is what you pray for. That I would be conformed to the image of your son. Folks, this is tough, controversial passage, but it's also a very rich passage. If you take the time to think about these truths and pray over them and meditate on them, you're going to find not only your questions answered, but you will grow in appreciation of God's mercy and love to be more determined than ever to spend the remainder of your days giving him all of the glory and all of the honor and all the praise. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, we thank you for this time and we thank you for your word. And Father, how it challenges us. And Father, we are, if we're being honest with you, we would have to admit that we are not all that we claim to be. Father, that we are not all that you destined us to be. Because we are not yet conformed to the image of your Son. But Father, you know all things. Father, you are sovereign in this universe, in in all of the earth, you are sovereign. And Father, you are the one who allows things into our lives to help conform us to the image of your Son. Father, you are the one that causes it to bring about the good. Father, to shave off those rough edges. Father, to get rid of the things that don't belong in our life. Father, to, 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 to remove the baggage that we have from the sin, from the hurt, from all of the things that have happened. But Father, you are the one who are conforming us to the image of your Son. Oh, Father, that's going to be something when we stand before you in the image of Christ. No longer shackled to sin. No longer 
paying that penalty no longer even in the presence of sin. But Father, just being transformed as a new creation in you. Father, I know that you are looking for willing hearts. Father, that that each and every person, Father, your will is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Father, accepting the sacrifice of your son, beginning that walk with you, ultimately being conformed to his image. Father, help us to be willing to be willing. Thank you, Father, for everything you've done for us. I pray now, Father, that as we respond to you, out of the love that you've already given us, Father, that we would confess Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Father, for all eternity, we will be singing the praises of our older brother Jesus and how he has died to set us free to be the ransom that satisfies your wrath. Father, that we could be made whole once again with you. Father, for that we give you praise and glory and honor. Guide us as we respond to you this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.